Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, I, I thought that I couldn't feel more like a flattened pancake last time after sod, but I think today I definitely feel even more so. Um, so again, I just want to express my gratitude. Thank you so much. I don't, I don't even have the words. I'm still processing, but just to know that like <clears throat> what, what we hear here, what I hear here, what touches my heart. I mean, like so many times during the course of this, um, walk through this incredible, I, I just, I felt like when it touches a certain part of my soul, it's like my whole body just wants to literally flatten into pancake and start crying. So thank you. I've never had that experience at a mosque. Um, but I should say that being a convert, you know, like these verses mean something really special to me because when you remember like the, you know, the, the sacrifice of confronting exactly everything you've built around you, you know, your friends, your family, everything that you understood um, as your world, and you make the decision that I, I'm going to let go of all of that because I believe in this message and I believe in this path. Um, and you've gone now, I mean, just from experience, I've often said, you know, like losing my family, my friends for, you know, and my parents for like eight years, alhamdulillah, it's not the case anymore. But that is one of the biggest tests that Allah can put you through. And so I really can relate to like remembering what it must have been like for these people to feel like, what, you know, I, what am I doing? You know, I'm like walking away from everything I know. So, um, that's when I really feel the power of these messages. And then also, you know, how many people you know, like who go through anxiety and depression and you have that choice to turn to God or to stay where you are. I mean, that like rings so true to so many people I know in situations and all of that. It's, it's just so, so anyway, thank you. Thank you so much. And it just, again, underscores that I just don't think this is, we can find this anywhere else. Um, anyway, um, does anyone have any questions here? Is anybody of sound mind that <laughs> I can formulate a question? Not yet? Okay. <laughs> I, I have questions, Okay. but I don't want to go first. You don't want to go first? I mean... Be brave. Okay. <laughs> Here, I'll take. You can bring Henry. <laughs> bring Henry for, for moral support. <laughs> I'm gonna get a shot of Henry. Um. The heavy breathing is Henry, the little Pomeranian, who is our mascot, for those who are not seeing. Okay. So, um, I have two questions. One is on the verse 26, which has a connection to uh, Surah Qad, verse 36, when it discusses... Um, you know, these people that are running around the earth trying to find an escape, mm -hmm. right? 
Um, does this have, in, in terms of like historical, like ideological context, does it have any relationship to like ancient religious beliefs that deities were bounded geographically? Hmm. You know, like c certain ancient religions believe that. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, uh, um, I, I, I'll just ask that for now. Um, can you paraphrase? Yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, when the Quran says, where, where, where will you go? Uh, the question is, what, uh, and there, there, in Surat Qaf, there's also a reference to, um, uh, a different reference, but uh, anyway, it refers to, to the direction people that people take. The, the question is whether th these Quranic references has anything to do with the historical practice of localized deities um, that were, because various deities were often adopted um, uh, often by even tribally. So certain deities would be popular with certain tribes or certain deities would be popular in certain geographic locations. I don't think the, the reference for Enet and Sabun in, in um, Surah Al-Takwir uh, is talking about that or is even alluding to that. Because Fa'anat al-Zabun, figuratively, right after uh, it's like saying, what are you thinking? Um, and we have in pre-Islamic poetry enough indicators that that type of rhetorical question can be asked when you're telling someone like, what's wrong with you? Um, but in, um, in, uh, in the second school that I talked about, which is the school that most Sufis adopt, I mean, nearly all the Sufi orientations adopt uh, have the second school. Well, uh, if I, is, is more than just what's wrong with you, but what path are you going to choose? Which also, the the phrase the phrasing, easily supports that as well. It's like, what, um, what path are you going to take in life? Um, yeah, I think I I'm, it's hard for me to imagine a connection to to the idea of localized deities and so on. Um, uh, just because of the nature of sort of the taqwir itself, it, it's really, it's not a surah that is challenging the deities of the Meccans. I mean, other than saying that the, this is the, the truth, but it is not focused at all at the uh, 
the Alihat Kuffar and, and so on. It, it, it prescribes a transformative state. Um, and the, the, the main orientation is, is that transformative state simply in the hereafter, or meaning as in the final day, or is it a transformative state as you're moving from ignorance to light? Or is it a transformative state, as I suggest, a state of crisis, and then the choice as to how to handle that state of crisis? Um, and Allah knows best, but I, I, I think I'm correct on this one. Can you tell us what the dhikr was? There is no dhikr surah. It's surah al taqwir itself. The entire surah is a dhikr. Um, when, when I was having my journey with surah al taqwir, um, interestingly, first I thought that surah al infitar and surah al taqwir are connected. Um, and then it took me nights of reciting both surahs to realize that they're not. That they're, 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 the, the, the connections that I imagined between them were, were not there. Uh, Al-Infutar is revealed much later than Surah Al-Taqweer, although it's in the Quran, the, the way the Quran is organized is Taqweer and then Al-Futar. So Al-Taqweer is 81 and Al-Futar is 82. Um, and then, as I was worshipping with Surah Al-Taqweer, um, there was no part of it that I could leave out. So I simply recited the entire Surah over and over. Um, and that was the dhikr that I did with Surah Al-Taqweer. Like Qul Allahu Ahad, um, that Surah was recited over or Qul Ya Kafirun also recited entirety over and over. Um, there are certain surahs that just, you, you are compelled to recite the entire surah in dhikr, and you are unable to segment any part of it. The surah Taqwir was one of them. Sorry, I'm going to ask another question. So for a non-Arabic speaker like myself, if I wanted to engage in this kind of dhikr, would I need to like, learn the, the meaning in English and then learn the Arabic? Or would the power of just memorizing the Arabic be I, I enough? Think, no, I, uh, no. Um, I, I think learning the meaning is critical. Um, so memorizing the Arabic is and especially with the short surahs, I mean, they're, they're, uh, these were they, these are short for a reason. Uh, and Surah Taqweer is, is short. I mean, it's it's not like Qul Ahad, obviously, so it's harder to memorize because it's a bit longer. Um, but uh, this surah, it's it's. Um, it's a world of difference if you if you're introduced to the ocean of meaning that Qulhu Allah Ahad raises and you repeat it with that ocean of meaning in, in 
present in your mind and just repeating it w without the ocean of, of the, the way that we teach the meaning of the Quran is so critical um, uh, because I, I've known people, I mean, just growing up, I've known so many people who recited Surah Taqweer and it never resonated anything with them because they, especially, you know, modern native Arabic speakers, the, the Quranic language is alien to them. I mean, it's, it is alien to them. They, it, it really, it's just because they know Arabic, it doesn't mean that they, it, um, no, the, the meaning is really important, and it's and and I wish that Quran teachers would not just know the meaning, but would feel the meaning. Because if you feel the meaning, the way you teach the Quran is very different than if you just know the meaning. This is the opposite question, almost specifically about the Arabic. Um, I remember with the tour, and you talked about how at the start sort of the tour, the Quran was engaging in was it Sajah, a tour, the Bayt al Amur, the Manshur. I mean, the start of the career is also uh, rhythmically very distinctive and kind of powerful. Right. Is the Quran doing the same thing there? Is it engaging with established literary? And do we have any reports of people like the message yeah. being struck, not just by the message, but the rhythm and the boom, boom, boom? Um, yeah, the, definitely. Oh, the the question is in Surah Tur, the the um, the Quran was was taking on the Arab practice of sajr. Um This sort of rhythmic musical words. Um, and demonstrating something that the Arabs couldn't do, and that is to convey very deep meanings using that literary style. And the question is, is Surah Al-Taqweer, is there something similar going on? Um, it, it, from a literary perspective, um, Surah Al-Taqweer is not like a tour in its use of session. It's it, it's not what it, it, it the Arabs of the time would have recognized that this is not taking on that form of um, um, of the, the type of music itself is different. It, the the meter is different. But it, what Although we don't have a, a, a report that I am aware of specifically about Surah Al-Taqweer in terms of the eloquence, unlike a tour, which we, we have reports where people reacting to it. But we have plenty of reports of the way that the early Arabs reacted to the uh, Mecca surahs, the, the Meccan surahs in general. Um, and... Um, I would put Surah Al-Taqweer um, like, more like uh, in, in Mudathir or Muzammil, where yes, there is 
a, a meter, but the meter is very different than the, the, the meter of a tour. It's a, it's a longer meter. It's a it's a tawil, um, and and um, so for instance, it's not the meter that would be used in battle. Well, the Sajj al Quraysh was would be meter that you would use in battle or. Uh, you would use in in carnivals and dancing and stuff. This is a very different meter, but the eloquence is undeniable. I mean, it, it the, the expressions is are um, you know the quwwat and the arshi makin. It's a remarkable phrase. Um, and muta'in thumma amin. It has its music. It's different than the Sajr of Quraysh, but it, it has a, 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 and it is an eloquence that is unparalleled and unique. And and, I, and anyone that delves into the Arabic of that period is immediately would immediately recognize that this is this is. Truly exceptional. This is not. There's nothing like it. Um, so yeah. Do we have reports about how the early Muslims reacted once this was revealed? No, I couldn't find anything specifically about Surah At-Takwir. Um, uh, but interestingly, that when I said that, I thought that there might be a relationship with Surah Al-Fatar. Um, is that after the Surah Al-Taqweer is, uh, is um, uh, there are Surah Al-Taqweer and Surah Al-Futar and I'm trying to remember that there is another Surah um, that's eluding me now. But anyway, that um, we we get these you know reports that such and such were reciting um, one of these surahs and was wailing you know was crying and um, and of course you know you wonder like what impact did it have on them that it would make them um, you know these men who the the uh, the, the Arabs of that time considered it a huge dishonor for a man to cry. I mean, it, it, it's something that would actually be that they, it, it would be remembered and counted against them for generations to come if a man cries. But these men would recite these surahs and cry. And part of the passion was to try to reclaim, um, understand the impact of these surahs on them, um, and and you know what you said also at the beginning was you know the, the, this you know turning the desert dwellers into civilization builders, um, but not just civilization. It's just the the. Arabs did not know the genre of divine love before Islam. All their love 
was either directed at women or they would talk about the love of their horses, how they love their horses, or they love their camels. But I can't think of a single example of a pre-Islamic poem that talks about love between a human being and anything that is not material. Suddenly, after the Quran, divine love became a consistent theme throughout the Islamic civilization. And that any serious researcher must try to understand how did that come to be and what the impact of that book was to, to produce that cultural transformation. And so, yeah. Any more questions? Do you wanna ask any follow-up? Okay, let me take one from here. And I, I just want to, to underscore that when Surah Al-Taqweer reflect, I'm not, of course, you know, I, I'm, I gave you the, the, the Sufi orientation, and I gave you the, the more traditional one, and I gave you my, I, I would just want you to reflect on the third and recite Surah Al-Taqweer with that in mind and see how it strikes you. Because I think, um, SubhanAllah, but I think you'll find a lot there. Okay. Um, it seems like the answer to the anxieties and crises that Surah Taqweer gives is a general returning to Allah through dhikr or acceptance of the prophetic message, much like the previous surahs. But oftentimes, humans want to know specific answers to our questions. By emphasizing dhikr as the answer rather, rather than specific moral injunctions, is the Quran suggesting that the specific answers are secondary and that the priority is the relationship with God and the process of reflection itself? Well, listen, the, the, the ethical answers that we, we do have, uh, especially in later revelations, so for instance, when we uh, deal with Surah Al-Quman, and here the ethical injunctions are very specific as to uh, what the path is. So they're, they're, not, they're, they're not one or the other. Um, first, it's like, it's like um, if you want to talk about good health and then you have to deal with the, the basic elementary constitutive elements of good health. And it's like the Quran is telling you first a relationship with God. Why? Because the number of contingencies that are variants that constitute variant challenges to ethical questions are literally limitless. Um, Regardless of what ethical rule I gave you, I give you, there are going to be numerous variants all the time and numerous contingencies. And it is the the one sure thing that you have is a real relationship with Allah, where Allah becomes your companion in responding to these numerous contingencies. 
are there hard and fast rules? Sure, because Allah will never tell you the, the, the answer is ugliness. Uh, Allah will never tell you the answer is to hurt someone. Allah will never tell you the answer is to be rude to someone or to be cruel with someone or to be uh, heartless or unempathetic to someone. Yeah, the, these are general rules, but even to be able, and here's the remarkable thing, is that we often know the ethical rules, but we are always capable of creating exceptions intellectually to whatever ethical rule we're taught. Why? Because we plead special circumstance. Yes, I know that I should be you know, kind to my parents, but the circumstances in this situation, yes, I know I should be honest, but the circumstances in this situation, yes, I know I should be kind and empathetic, but the circumstances in this situation, and it's, and it's actually, it, it comes and it puts it on its head. And it's so you, you want to be a truly principled person that doesn't constantly find a way of um, pleading special circumstance and therefore diluting your ethical obligations. Well, it's a, your conscientious relationship with Allah that will do that. Because when you have that relationship with Allah, but it's only possible if you control the ego, because then um, you you catch yourself when you're with your own BS. It's like no, no special circumstance. The ethical rule is the ethical rule, and it's your relationship with Allah that tells you this is the ethical rule. And you can't plead the intellect. The human intellect is a remarkable thing. It's like this. Bring me a good lawyer, and I think I'm a good lawyer. I'm a law professor, so I must have done something right in my life, right? But all that means, you know, you know what it takes to be a law professor. Um, it, well, it, it takes that you know how to argue like a good lawyer. And as a good lawyer, any rule that you present me with, I can make a very good argument for an exception or plead social circumstance. It is not the intellect that's going to prevent you from doing that. It is the conscientious soul that comes and says, yeah, you can make the argument, but you know that this is not real. You know that this is not true. Cut that out. Be clean. Be pure. Be decent. Be beautiful. Um, you know, th that's, that's key. Okay. Thank you. Anybody here? Okay, can you please talk more about the third eye? The third eye, I mean, it pre the, the idea of the third eye, of course, it predates Islam, um, but it, it was, it, it's an old belief that there is a center of consciousness in the, cent the center of the, the forehead. Um, you know, if in, in the, 
if you read anything about um, uh, um, what do you call it? meditation techniques of Buddhists and 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 so on, they they'll often talk about the the energy that comes and goes from the third eye and, and opening up the third eye and so on. Uh, and as I talked about in one of the halakas, that there in the Islamic tradition there is very interesting discussions about sujood and the third eye. That the reason we put the forehead on the ground, not just in in a in a, in a symbolic gesture of of submission to Allah, but that actually that if you understand what sujood is and you understand what you're doing in sujood, you are shifting energy to that third eye. What we mean by the third eye, basically, is that it is what often is called the sixth sense. It's like when, you know, and all of us have experienced it to one level or another. You know, you, you hear a, a song and you, you feel like goosebumps or you feel like there's a rush of blood in, in your body. It doesn't mean that there's actually a rush of blood, but you feel it. That, that you know, you feel like you've been taken by by something. Uh, you enter into a place and you feel very creepy. And again, your the hair on your skin stands up, and you're not sure why, or you don't necessarily see anything, but that creep factor is there. You sense a a an un a sense of danger within you or a sense of heaviness in the chest all of these are very undeveloped I mean undeveloped in the sense that they're, 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 they're not what they could be within you but all of us have them that that something in us that is a sixth sense uh, whether you call it the third eye you call it the sixth sense uh, you call it the center of consciousness. Um, uh, you know, there, there's um, for among Sufis, especially, who not only focus on dhikr, but they tell you that even in your dhikr, you have to learn to breathe correctly, because breathing aligns the the, the body so that it can maximize your ability to um, to understand by the extrasensory being within you that Allah has placed. You know, whether you call it the Damir, you call it... Uh, because a lot of... In, in Sufi literature, often they refer to it as a Damir. Um, but it, from an Islamic perspective, the more you discipline your ego, the more you truly turn your affairs to Allah, the more you become aware of Allah's presence with you every minute, everywhere, uh, the more that sensory part of you becomes alive. And so you don't need to spend a lot of time talking to people to know 
if they're good with Allah or if they're not good with Allah. You, you, you'll meet someone and right away you will get a sense, you know, this is someone I want to be very close to or not very close to. Um, just as an example. But it does much more than that. But most of all, it allows you to see the truth of yourself so that you can't deceive yourself. That it, it, it lays you bare before yourself so that you are the first one to call out all your BS. Um, you know when you're not being truthful and but that it's 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 that damir what they call you know, some call it a third line that comes in and says come on you, you're not being truthful and you know it um or you're putting on an act or uh, you know you 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 are out to get more pity or you're out to get more attention or you're out to uh, you know whatever all the different egoistic egotistical uh, motivations but I mean th there is th there is much more you can we can say about that it's it's, it's a li literally an ocean of knowledge uh, that that's a, a last thing to say is that that is exactly why that um, when you meet truly pious human beings like um, you find their their sense of perception truly remarkable. They 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 seem to just know things, um, and and they know it by that that sensory part within us that God put places, but that we bury and cover over uh, in life. And the more we are egotistical, the more we are materialistic, the more we are covetous, the more we are sinful, the more we bury it, the more we cover it, um, the less transparent it becomes. No person that indulges in sin can tell me, oh, I have a very good sense, uh, or I have a very good third eye. That's BS. Sin kills the third eye. It literally kills it. So anyone that, you know, doesn't care whether they do haram or halal and tells you, oh, I have a, I'm very intuitive. Uh, no, they're, they're, they're full of themselves. Yeah. Okay, I think related to that, can you talk more about facing one's true reflection in the mirror and how one can tell they're facing the darkness or becoming familiar with it? I'm not sure I understand that question. Yeah, the, the, of course I was using the example of a reflection in the mirror, meaning I'm not saying that you actually should stare in the mirror. Actually, I, I, I strongly advise against that. <laughs> um, you shouldn't do that for many different reasons. Um, some of them are sort of scary. But anyway. Um, but the idea is that you, if, if, think of any time, I don't know if, if, 
you know, if any of you have, have, have been very depressed in their lives, but if any time you are seriously sad or depressed, it is as if there is a presence with you who is yourself, like an, another replica of you, another copy of you, with you constantly pulling you down um, that's why when you're very depressed it's it's also dangerous to look at the mirror to stare in the mirror um, you might end up going insane or, or doing something to yourself uh, because you imagine you're seeing that presence and, and you'll hate it and you'll want to destroy it um, and then you end up destroying yourself. But anyway, the it is literally as if there is another you that is suffocating and you can't overthrow it. You can't get rid of it. That you is an embodiment of the worst of you. Um, to be able to confront that, to be able to vanquish it, to be able to tell it to go away, you know, you can do the crazy thing that a lot of people do, and that is go and do a lot of counseling, and you're in counseling for 10 years, and you're up and down most of your life, or you venture to vanquish it with Allah. Um, it is only the certitude that comes from the divine that that it gives you the power, the empowerment, the sense of right to vanquish that worst version of yourself. Because we often we feel powerless before that worst version of ourselves in our moments of true weakness because it is us. And so you're often, there's that voice that tells you, this is you. So where are you going to run away from it? You don't even have a right to run away from it because it is you. And you're horrible. You're disgusting. You're awful. Look at you. You're a failure. You're miserable. You've Everything you know, you don't know, and, and it's because you are just a miserable, disgusting human being. Well, how are you going to vanquish that? How are you going to defeat that? It is Allah that comes and says, on my authority, kick that thing out of your life. Expel that thing out of your life. And if you engage in any teacher of dhikr or, or work with any teacher of dhikr or someone who knows what they're doing, that's what they focus on, is not your good moments, is to get you ready for your worst moments. 
Because that's when you need to remember your moments of dhikr. It's that moment when everything crashes down upon you. And you're stuck with the worst version of yourself and you get, can't get rid of it. Um, I think anyone who's been seriously depressed will recognize what I'm talking about. If you think about it, you'll recognize it. But subhanAllah, I mean, our ancestors um, wrote a great deal about it. I mean, subhanAllah, this is long before modern psychology and all that stuff. They wrote a great deal about it. When they, when they talk about the holographic self or hulamiya, the, 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 the holographic self, they're, they're often talking about that is, you know, and they believe that all of us live with a version of ourselves. We construct a false version that we don't really believe. The, holo, the false holographic self is myself successful and confident and popular and happy and, and so on. But we, we live distrusting it because we know that it's very fragile and we don't so we 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 prop it up in front of people but the minute it's deflated we are stuck with the other version of the holographic self which we actually intuitively think is the true self and that's a horrible version and we remain entrapped between the false art uh, uh, buffed up version of ourself and also false horrible version of ourself and we remain trapped and when the Sufis talk about challenging the holographic self and emerging out of it what they're talking about is taking these two and vanquishing them neither the the version that is you know I am Mr. Perfect I am so accomplished I am so or the, the self that where you're very depressed and you hate yourself and you can't stand yourself and centering it in Allah. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a part of our tradition that it just, it, it breaks my heart that we've lost because we, uh, we need it. We need it so badly. Okay, that's a very good place for us to stop for this evening. So thank you everyone um, for joining us. And inshallah, we'll see you this weekend. Um, and may Allah bless you, Sheikh. Thank you. This was amazing, mind-blowing. Alhamdulillah. Okay. As-salamu alaykum. Alaykum as-salam. As-salamu alaykum. Okay.